begin our new series today, The Signature of Jesus. And uh, one of our focus texts is in the Old Testament, Micah chapter 6, and verse 8. And we'll read that in a minute, but I'd like to read a text from the New Testament first. Jesus calling a couple of his disciples. Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and Jesus called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. Micah chapter 6, hear what the Lord says, arise, plead your case before the mountains and let the hills hear your voice. Hear you mountains the indictment of the Lord and you enduring foundations of the earth for the Lord has an indictment against his people and he will contend with Israel. Oh my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. I sent before you Moses Aaron and Miriam. Oh, my people, remember Balak, king of Moab? Remember what he devised? But Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him. What happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord? With what shall I come before the Lord? bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and ten thousand of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Someone is called G.K. Chesterton, that's Gilbert Keith Chesterton, one of the crown jewels of the British Empire. He died in 1936 at age 62. And yet when he died, he left a remarkable legacy. He was a writer, he was a poet, journalist, theologian, philosopher, orator, art critic. Chesterton once said, Among the rich, you will never really find a generous man. They may give their money away, but they never will give themselves away. They are egotistic, 
secretive and dry as old bones. To be smart enough to get all that money, you must be dull enough to want it. You know, he's a darling of the conservatives now. They're always quoting G.K. Chesterton. Know what he said? He said, it's the business of progressives to go on making mistakes. And it's the business of conservatives to prevent fixing them. You know, it's not his political views or his economic views that interest me today. What really interests me about G.K. Chesterton is his view of Jesus. Did you know that 11 years before he died, he wrote a book called The Everlasting Man. And it was that book that Jesus used to convert C.S. Lewis. One day, Chesterton is on a street corner in London, and a reporter came up to him, a young man, and said, Sir, I understand that you've recently become a Christian. Is that true? Chesterton said, Indeed it is. The reporter said, Well, may I ask you a question? What if the risen Christ suddenly appeared at this moment standing behind you? What would you do? Chesterton looked him in the eye and said, He is. Now, do you think he was just using a figure of speech? Or do you think he meant it? Do you think G.K. Chesterton understood something that most of us don't? The business of Jesus is not that he walks with us, but that we walk with him. And the question is not, is he walking with us? He's the one who said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He's the one that said, I'm with you always. The question is, are we walking with Him? And if we are, then we'll begin to see the signature of Jesus all over us. I want to begin this morning by having you come with me back to a courtroom. It's different than anyone that's in the city. It's actually pictured here in Micah chapter 6. It's the mountains and the hills, and God calls his prophet Micah to be the prosecuting attorney, and on trial is not a person, it's a nation. God's people. So Micah rises as the prosecuting attorney, and he stands before the jury, which is all of creation, and he speaks not his own words, but the words of God. And he asks this question, have I mistreated you? Have I required too much of you, my people? And then he reviews in a short fashion all that he's done. And he does the same with us. He's brought us out of the land of Egypt. He's brought us into the promised land. He's given us his very presence. Not in a box, not in a temple, 
He stands beside us, in front of us, behind us, in us. And then in verse 8, he says this. I have shown you, O man, what is good. What do I require of you? To do justice. To love kindness. And to humble yourself and walk with me. You know, if you're anything like me, immediately think of the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve. The Bible says the Lord walked in the garden in the cool of the morning and He calls out, where are you and where are they? They're hiding in the trees. And you say, why would God ask that question? Doesn't He know? He asks it so they might know. Where are you? You're in the trees. Instead of walking with Him, they're hiding from Him. You know, isn't it interesting, when Jesus called you to be His disciple, He didn't give you a test. He didn't give you a set of laws. He didn't make you good enough. He simply said, come and follow me. Come and walk with me. And it prompts the question, how? How do I walk with Him? Well, the Bible answers that question in two clear ways. First of all, In Amos chapter 3, the Bible says, how can two walk together unless they have an appointment? In other words, unless they meet. Walking together requires meeting. Now let's suppose after this service, you see somebody that you haven't been with for a while, and you say, hey, let's take a walk together today, this afternoon. Next week, you get back together, and you say, hey, where were you? I was at Boyce Park at 3 o'clock. I was looking all over. I couldn't find you. And they say, well, I was down at Frick at 5. You're not going to walk together unless you make an appointment. Unless you meet. And ladies and gentlemen, it is profoundly true that God only meets you and me one place. And that's at the cross. Not just once. That's his meeting place. If you want to walk with me, the Lord says, you meet me at the cross. And anyone that says that they walk with God and haven't met him at the cross is a liar. Because God only has one appointment place, and that's the cross. So walking with God means to make an appointment to meet. But then there's another aspect. It also means accompanying him. Have you ever met a bodybuilder that maybe you'd heard about and you stand next to him? And if you're a man, you probably stand up a little straighter and put your chest out and suck your gut in. Did you ever meet the governor of the state? Did you ever meet a, a celebrity? Did you meet Joan Rivers before she died? You know, we're always the same. You just stand up a little bit straighter make the best of impressions. That's how we are. Yet isn't it interesting, the Lord says if you're going to walk with me, you're going to do the opposite. Instead of standing up, you need to bow low. You need to bow down. You need to get down. You need to humble yourself. You say, but how are we to humble ourselves? Glad you asked. I'd like to suggest at least four ways. First of all, 
the Bible makes it plain that we must humble ourselves as to our own righteousness. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 to 12. None is righteous, no, not one. None understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they become worthless. None does good, no, not even one. Years ago, I heard a story of a playwright, New York City, who hit it big. He was Jewish. He wrote a play that went to Broadway, then went to Hollywood, and he did what he always wanted to do with all this money that was flowing in. He bought a big yacht. He parked it in New York Harbor, and he called his mother and said, Mama, I want to take you to my ship. She said, Irving, you don't have a ship. He said, yeah, my ship's come in. So he picks her up and they go down to the dock and she's amazed because all of these attendants are saluting him. He gets her a drink, says, Mama, I'll be right back, goes down underneath the deck and dresses in a white captain's uniform with a hat big brass buttons trimmed in blue, and he comes up and he says, Mama, I'm a captain. And She says, to you use a captain. To me you may be a captain, but to a captain you ain't no captain. And that's what the Lord says to you and me about our own righteousness. To you use good. To others you may be good, but to me you ain't no good. You know, it's interesting. Um, walking with God begins with that knowledge. And it never ends, that knowledge. Over 300 years ago, 500, let's say, there was a book written by the Anglican Church called the Book of Common Prayer. And you probably have seen it or heard of it. In that book, there are over 300 prayers. And in many, many of those prayers is this line, O Lord, there is no health in us. O Lord, there is no health in me. O Lord, why would you take someone like me? Because the more you open my eyes, the more I see people. You are all good. I ain't no good. Brennan Manning once offered this prayer to family and friends. May all your expectations be frustrated. May all your plans be thwarted. May all of your desires wither into nothingness. That you may experience the powerlessness and the poverty of a child who sings and dances in the compassion of the God who leads. He didn't pick you because you were good. He picked you because he was. And second, not only must we humble ourselves as to our own righteousness, we must humble ourselves as to our own strength. Listen to what Paul says in chapter 5 of Romans, verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. You know, when Martin Luther wrote that great hymn, A Mighty Fortress, 
He had critics. And they would criticize him for writing that, especially this line. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? They said, Martin, what are you talking about? He said, wasn't it Jesus who said, without me you are nothing? I'm just rephrasing it. One of my heroes of the faith and mentors, you've heard of his name, Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse. He told a story that I love. When a young missionary named Noel went over to see Dr. Host, and Dr. Host in China had taken over for Hudson Taylor. And Noel spent a week with Dr. Host, and after a week he was leaving, and he said to Dr. Host, Sir, would you pray that I would be nothing? Host looked him in the eye and said, You are nothing. Take it by faith. <laughs> you know, that's exactly what Jesus says to us. And it's a hard lesson to learn. It's just like Peter walking on the water. When Peter walks on the water, he proves two things. There's no power in Peter, and there's all power in Jesus. And when you know that, no matter what the Lord brings into your path, you are capable. You're capable of seeing Him handle it. When you recognize that you have no strength, and any strength that you thought you had when the Lord turns up the heat, He will prove you don't have it. And when you recognize how weak you are, you begin to understand what Paul meant when he said, His power is perfected in my weakness. When you recognize that every single moment of every day, you need a, a fresh supply of Jesus' strength. That's when you understand that you can stand strong when you stand low and you say in effect, okay, Jesus, you got this one. Then third, not only are we to humble ourselves as to our own righteousness and strength, we've got to humble ourselves as to our own wisdom. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah said. The wisdom of the wise men shall perish. The discerning of the discerning men shall be hidden. Paul picks that up and uses that in 1 Corinthians when he says to those people, not many of you were wise. Not many of you were born of royalty. But God takes the foolish things to confound the wise. Did you hear about the dyslexic agnostic who was suffering from insomnia? Yeah, he used to lay awake at night wondering, is there really a dog? <laughs> I mean, that's how it is for us. You know, we ask the questions, how could God allow this to happen? How could He do it? How could God be the one who chose me when I thought I was the one that chose Him? Three hundred and fifty years ago, in a far more biblically literate age, the reformers wrote this. God has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. God has ordained whatsoever things come to pass. 
You say, well, that's 350. 350 years ago. That's when they were more simple. They, they didn't know what we know. Are you kidding? You know what they knew that we don't know? That there's one God and they're not Him. Ezekiel writes, O house of Israel, you say the way of the Lord is not just. Who are you? I will judge according you according to your ways. And then Paul picks up on that and he says in Romans chapter 9, it's like a pot saying to the potter, why have you made me thus? You ever think about the difference between fine china and pottery? Everything in our house goes in the dishwasher except for the fine china. That's why I always lobby not to use it. I mean, that's like precious stuff. When I was growing up, I grew up within 40 miles of uh, Williamsburg, and every time we had people come to visit, and I was too young to drive, I had to be dragged there to the Williamsburg Pottery. Hate that place. And I thought, as soon as I drive, I'm not going. And I've been faithful to that one commitment in my life. But you know what's interesting? Whenever I've gone to England, one of the places I want to go is Stoke-on-Trent. And that's where the Spode factory is. That's where they make fine china. They make it out of bone. Crushed up bone. Something had to die to make the china. You know how you make a pot? You make it out of clay. Mud. Fine china is light. Earthenware is heavy. Fine china is made of bone meal. Earthenware is made of clay. Fine china is delicate. Expensive. Earthenware is made to throw around. You know something? You find fine china in a museum. The only pot you'll find in the museum is some, some caveman stored rocks in. In other words, it's not the beauty of the pot, it's the amazing beauty and talent of the maker. And that's exactly what Paul is saying to you and me. We're pots! When he fashioned us, he didn't fashion us from the stars of heaven. He took us out of the dust of the earth. And he tied you down by gravity. Even if you're Usain Bolt, you can only run 28 miles an hour. And you can't even get to 20, I believe. As fast as a man can run, he can go 28 miles an hour. How much can we escape gravity? Well, this way, about 30 feet. This way, about 8 feet. If you want to go somewhere, you either walk or run or take some artificial means of transportation. And you always run the risk of falling out of the sky, sinking into the water, or careening around the corner and hitting a tree. When He made you, He didn't make you with feathers and wings. He tied you down. He didn't make us fine china. He made us clay pots. Why? So that we might know that any power and any strength and any wisdom belongs to him and not to us. I mean, think of Job at the end of his life. Chapter 42. What does he say? Now I know you can do all things. 
No plan of yours is ever thwarted. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes see you, and I repent in dust and ashes. Meaning what? Meaning here's what I know. After all my kids have died, after I've lost all of my animals, and all that God left me was, with was a contentious woman, here's what I know. There's one God, and I'm not Him. He's totally in charge. There is nothing outside His control. And those He loves, He always delivers loving kindness to them. And then fourth, we must humble ourselves as to our own guidance. Romans chapter 9, Paul again says, Who are you, O man, to answer back to God? What is, or will what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? You know, C.S. Lewis said, How can the characters in the play guess the plot? We're not the writer, we're not the producer, we're not the audience. We are actors on a stage playing the parts that God has written for us to play. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying to us. Think of Peter in the upper room. Jesus kneels at his feet with a basin of water and a towel, and Peter freaks. You're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus says, unless I wash your feet, you can have no, nothing in me. And then Peter says, well, then wash all of me. And Jesus says to him, Peter, you don't realize now what I am doing. But you will later. And that's what Jesus says to every one of us who walk with him. Right now, you don't understand what I'm doing in your life. And even when there's clarity, there's still mystery. But there's coming a day, not just when you're glorified, but maybe even tomorrow when you'll be able to look back and you'll see what I'm doing. He has shown you, O oh man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. And over the next 12 weeks, we're going to explore what doing justice and loving kindness mean. But we'll never do justice and love kindness unless we begin to walk humbly with our God. So, so the reporter says to Chesterton, if the risen Christ suddenly appeared, at this moment, and stood behind you, what would you do? And Chesterton looked him in the eye and said, he is. Can you think of a better answer than that? That's why Jesus came. So that he, in his full presence, might dwell with you. That's why he called you. That's why He said, follow me. And as we do, He will write His signature 
all over us. And aren't you glad that when God called you, He wasn't like the Marines. You can be what you want to be. God never said that to you. He said, come and follow me, and I will make you look just like me. I, too, am excited about the series. We're into it. Think about walking with Him humbly.